Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 82. We are closing in on the big hundred. Wonder who I'm going to get as a guest for that show. If you've got any ideas, I'm always uh, happy to hear. Team at Low Tox Life is our, um, or team at lowtoxlife.com rather, is our email um, for any ideas or things that you want voiced on the show, topics we haven't covered yet that you think are really important. Um, always happy to hear, as well as who our 100th episode guest is going to be. Uh, we're 17 shows away from that. And actually, given that I've just finished recording a couple more, we're about 14 shows away from that in terms of um, what's left to record. So I'm super excited. If you can't hear the smile on my face, I'm really excited. I don't know why. It must be the gamification around numbers, you know, like achieving, oh, we got you 100. It's amazing. And it is amazing. I mean, if you think back, if you look back at the list of topics we've covered, at the list of incredible people we've interviewed, um, people with anything from an incredible cause that they fight for to an incredible brand that they've started or represent, uh, an incredible um, form of healthcare that they provide people, therapy that has been uncovered and used. I mean, we've covered so much. Uh, and, of course, incredible care for our beautiful planet, which is always such an important pillar of everything we do here at Lotox Life. Uh, today I have the wonderful Dr. Ellen, uh, Elise, I was just about to say Ellen, but that was uh, last week's guest, wrong, Elise Vialiu, and she is someone who trained as a doctor and surgeon um, and uh, in psychiatry as well and kind of decided, whoa, I have an even bigger calling than that, which is hard to believe, but it's true, uh, in uh, mindfulness education and and she's the founder of something called Mindful in May, if you haven't heard of it yet. Um, and uh, and it's just a brilliant month. Okay, so get this. You do 10 minutes of meditation a day uh, for the whole month and you all commit to that. And what I'm committing to for all of us who want to do this program, I'm just about to tell you a whole bunch more that goes on in the program, is a pop-up Facebook group where we can discuss the challenges we might be experiencing, revelations we've had, uh, brilliant effects that it's had on our week or month, um, as well as conversations around the incredible interviews that Elise showcases over the month with globally renowned experts in mindfulness, uh, brain science, and more. Um, and uh, and I just thought it'd be really great to have a pop-up Facebook group for us. So if you go to the show notes to click through and register for Mindful in May, um, it's not expensive at all. It's $49. It's nothing when you think about what we have to gain from from looking at this a little bit more closely in our own lives for a month. And um, and in the show notes as well, you'll then get the link to the Low Tox Life uh, mindful in May pop-up group. So feel free to join. It's free. That part of it is just about all of us getting together and uh, going through it together. Cause I, I really think um, just seeing the incredible work that gets done, the incredible shifts that are made in our private Facebook groups for our e-courses, there's nothing like that community motivation or feeling like you've got a safe private space to come and ask questions or share what's going on. I'm a big believer in that, as you probably know. So, um, so yeah, I've created that and it's all in the show notes today. So I'm super excited. So really this Mindful in May month, uh, which is 
basically just around the corner with how fast this year's going is for you, if you've ever wanted to learn meditation and you haven't, you know, you think, Oh gosh, it just sounds like I'm missing out on something there, but I'm busy and all the other things that we, um, we use as excuses for not doing it. Or maybe you've done it and you've felt great doing it. And you know that you want to make it a regular practice, but you need a bit more motivation to make that a regular practice. And, uh, and it's the fifth annual global online mindful in May. So it's been going for a while now. Um, it's, uh, the world's largest online mindfulness challenge, which is really amazing to think that we can, I still just get such a kick out of uniting people all around the world to, explore topics. Uh, and, uh, and this is just another wonderful example of how technology brings us all together to do work that matters. Um, and you have, as I said before, you have incredible renowned meditation teachers, neuroscientists, wellbeing experts. Um, and the, the program is essentially to help us detox our brain and transform our lives. Now that is the, the promise. And, uh, that might sound like a massive promise, but I think you'll find as we all get together for a month that we've, um, we've got some pretty exciting, uh, revelations and shifts to make together. So you have a chance to make your meditation matter. You can even fundraise. So we're going to have a low-tox life fundraiser page. And look, I don't care if we only make 200 bucks for this clean water cause that Elise has decided to attach, which she's going to talk a little bit more about in our chat. But, um, but I just think, you know, how amazing we can get sponsored to meditate. I just love that they've added that in as a, um, an extra, uh, element to the challenge because I mean, if you think about the fact that 50 bucks is all it takes for someone to have clean water for the rest of their lives in an area where they currently don't have it, imagine if, say, 100 of us do $50 worth of fundraising each and what does that make it? 150 that makes it $5,000. That means, you know, we get 100 people clean water for the rest of their lives. So I'm curious, I'm not making any promises, but I'm curious to see if we all do that, how, how much we can also raise by being happy little meditators for a month uh, and beyond, of course, because we're going to keep this going. It's all about building this as a habit. And actually in today's show, Elise has some fantastic insights into how we actually create a habit around meditation to motivate us and incentivize us to, to keep going back to it and back to it and back to it. In the show, um, in the course, you also have access to weekly guided meditations um, and you can just stream those live. Uh, you have video, uh, like, uh, who have they got this year? They've got Dan Siegel, Sarah Lazar, Parker Palmer, Rick Hansen, Tara Brack, some really big names, daily emails to support making meditation a little habit. Um, and I just think that's fantastic. So all the tools are there to help us actually make this a daily practice. I am going to fess up here and say it's not a daily practice for me just yet, um, but I really do want it to be. And I know I feel so much better in the periods where I do make it a daily practice. Um, and I feel like I've used my book writing as an excuse for way too long now. It's finished. It's at the printers. I really just have to make time for what's important to me. And I hope um, I can invite you to do the same and uh, do it with me. So, 
Um, yeah, I'll leave that for now because we talk a little bit more about it. We don't really focus on today's episode on that. It's more of an overall chat about mindfulness uh, and meditation and uh, Elise's incredible take on things, very encouraging chat, very insightful. Um, of course, with her strong science background, she's passionate about the research in the field and shares some really wonderful facts. So we'll hook into that chat in a sec. Uh, but I just want to remind you, of course, that uh, Walida is our show sponsor this month and you have 20% off their whole range. That's a lot, especially if you use quite a few things regularly. It's a great chance to stock up. Um, I know I've stocked up on my rose smoothing rose face cream it's just my favorite thing in the world the night cream I love it and I've stocked up on my arnica oil and I've got uh, a little bit of calendula from my little baby nephew who I give little calendula oil massages to I love that I used to do it for Sebastian like eight years ago and nearly nine my gosh um, and, uh, and it was just one of the most precious times of day to give him a little calendula, uh, oil massage. And now to be able to do it on Oscar's enormous, beautiful thighs, just give him little squishy, squishy massages. It's just delicious. I know any parent out there will totally know what I'm talking about. Um, some babies don't actually like massage, but if yours does, that calendula body oil is gorgeous. Um, provides a really lovely, gentle, protective barrier as well. Um, and, uh, and actually, the Calendula range has won this year's natural, I think it's the Natural Baby Awards that Nature and Health put on, 2018, that Calendula range won. So if you've, you haven't explored that as a low-tox baby option, really, um, Rudolf Steiner founded Walida. He founded Biodynamics. He founded Steiner Education. That guy got a lot done in that lifetime. And, uh, and the incredible way that they farm plants to provide the most high um, actives into the products, you really are experiencing something uh, wonderful, something potently healing uh, and protective in their, their their skincare ranges. And I think that's why something, um, you know, the, the biodynamic aspect really does help them keep um, – uh, keep a, a medium price point uh, because it's actually just about smart farming uh, and instead of having to use a whole bunch of extra green chemistry to create the results that they want they let the plants do the talking and I really feel that with the smoothing rose face cream I mean I used to use moisturizers that were like a hundred dollars plus a hundred and fifty dollars plus and I still use a couple that are getting close to that sort of a price point um, but every now and then um, but that that smoothing night cream, I just always come back to it. It is so wonderful and it's so inexpensive. So please go and make the most of this 20% off. If you haven't seen, they've repackaged the body oils with a little handy pump, even though it's still in glass, which is wonderful. Um, so it's still recyclable, but the pump at the top means it's going to be much um, easier, a bit less messy. Um, and, uh, and that Arnica body oil, as you know, I always talk about it. It's my favorite. So that's our beautiful show sponsor. I just wanted to highlight a few things there. And I also wanted to let you know, just in case you didn't realize, we have launched another e-course. Can you believe it? We've been busy. Uh, that's why I'm terrible on emails these days, but, um, we've been, we, we, sent out a survey last year sometime and we're just kind of trying to gauge what people needed, what you had um, as goals in your own lives and uh, the topics of really drilling down on low-tox 
uh, living for kids in terms of the science that shows why we really should be passionate about reducing environmental toxins for our children as they grow up in the modern world. And also, you know, just tips and tools for being out and about, for being at home, for, um, you know, places that are safe to shop online, uh, all sorts of incredible resources, practitioner interviews, etc. And then also um, inflammation, which is a huge topic that comes up. And again, so we're working on that one right now, and that'll come up next month. And of course, preconception, Ninja you've already heard of and all of these shorter pocket courses like um, Real Food Rockstars as well, uh, they're all on the homepage of lowtoxlife.com and you can check out the um, information pages and register if you want. You don't have to, of course. Um, They're all created for specific goals in mind and they're all self-paced, but they all have private Facebook groups. So it's something that literally today you can go, actually, I want to work on making um, our home and the things that I buy for my child and things I suppose my child to safe and low tox, um, then I'm going to do low tox kids and it's 85 bucks and you have um, currently seven practitioner interviews in there, but we are always adding. I just interviewed actually Dr. Alyssa Song from over in California and uh, we had an incredible one and a half hour chat that we've um, just uploaded into low tox kids, the e-course today. So that's been added and, you know, but you pay $85, but you have that course for life. You can log in as long as you want, as long as the website exists, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And, um, and that means that as we sort of see fit, I think, God, I just had a coffee with an amazing pediatrician. I want to interview her on X, Y, Z and pop it in low tox kids. And you'll be able to access that. So, um, and that goes for preconception ninja. We've added, gosh, three interviews since we first launched it a few months ago. And we've got our first couple of pregnancies into their second trimester that have been announced with people that really had a tough time trying everything. So as you can see, you probably can hear the massive smile that just went on my face and saying that, you know, just the there are always little stones that might be left unturned. And if you're finding preconception difficult in any way, shape or form, even if you want to improve your chances, if you're doing IVF, there is something for everyone in there. And I'm having people go, wow, I've seen four people about my fertility so far and no one's mentioned that test or wow, I didn't realize if we ramped up that food, we could, um, we could really actually improve the health of our eggs. You know, there's just, there's so much wonderful information in there. So I'm not going to rabbit on about it too long. I'm actually conscious that I've been rabbiting on for way too long already, but, um, but please do go to lowtoxlife.com in the very top of the page, you'll see all the courses that are available. It's only go to go low talks that we coach live because it's such a behemoth of a course that I really feel like a bit of handholding and navigation is required there. And, uh, and we always just achieve so much in that course together. I think it's, I, I want to keep doing at least one of our courses live, um, so that I get to know people in the community, uh, and, uh, and so on. And you can still register for that whenever you want for the upcoming round. You can do that today if you like. The next one is in June. Um, but all the other ones, um, are, uh, on demand. So you can just jump in, register, and you instantly get all the information. Okay. I'm done talking. And Elise is just about to do some wonderful talking and I'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions and I hope you love this chat as much as I loved having it. Enjoy the show guys. Elise Bailey, how are you? 
I'm very well. Excited to be here. I'm really happy to have you here. I have admired Mindful in May from afar for years and actually was introduced to it when I did uh, Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution Picnic Day and a group came along and they were doing Mindful in in May and they were um, sort of uh, they decided to have a mindful food day, like, you know, discussing yeah. all the ingredients that were in their picnic and eating and chewing and thinking about. And I was like, oh, I've got to go check that out. And then lo and behold, there your website was. And uh, it's, uh, it's just such a wonderful thing that you do. And I cannot wait to hook into that. Um, but I'm going to, I'm just going to start with like a little bit of a warm up, something I've been doing lately, which is a bit of a yeah. rapid fire. And, um, and I want to see what you answer. So I'm just going to shoot these off at you. You just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Right. Favorite sure. form of dancing. Easy salsa. Aha. Uh-huh, nice. You can listen to one album forever. What is it? Right now it's Laura from, I think she's from Cape Verde. L-U-R-A. Oh, cool. oh yeah. Obsessed. You're a world music fan. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, favorite she's thing on, to fight. She's for... Sorry. Uh, she's gone for what? <laughs> She's on replay like constantly at the moment. My my two year old daughter's started to learn Portuguese because she hears it so often. <laughs> I'm gonna have to have a listen to that. That sounds good. Um, favorite thing to fight for? I'd say just social justice, equality for everybody. Nice. Uh, what would you have told your 16 year old self if you could look back? If you could go back and have a chat. I think I would say you have no idea what ride you're in for. (laughs) So buckle up, baby. (laughs) And also I would say just remember to buy Bitcoin when you were about to. Yeah. I'd love to have told myself that too. Um, What book are you reading right now? I just finished reading... Parker Palmer, who's one of my absolute heroes, he's from America. Mm-hmm. His most recent book, which is just out, called On the Brink of Everything, Grace, Gravity and Getting Old. And that's because I'm interviewing him for the Mindful May program this year. Ah, oh, wonderful. I can't wait to catch that interview. He sounds intriguing. Um, okay, so what do you want to see not being an issue in our world once you have a grandchild? So many things. I know. What do you pick, right? So many things. I I think climate change and climate issues because, you know, otherwise we won't have anywhere to live and terrorism. Mm, 100%. And what did you do yesterday that had the greatest impact on your health? Well, I'm biased, but I meditated. I I knew you'd say that. (laughs) So predictable. And also I went for a long walk on the beach. Oh, beautiful. Bit of grounding. That's it. That's my rapid fire. So um, let's let's hook into this. I'd love to first hear how you came to be interested in meditation and mindfulness to begin with. Mm. So I was really fortunate. I have a mother who was working as a psychologist and was very interested in this whole domain. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with a bookshelf full of books by John Kabat-Zinn, Jack Cornfield, Sogyal Rinpoche, all of these meditation teachers. And it really piqued my interest. And I was a really big reader when I was younger. So I kind of read through all of them at quite a young age. And my mum took me on conferences that she went to. And at one of those conferences, I actually got to do a meditation with some Tibetan monks and it was really fascinating and I think as a younger person your mind is somewhat 
even more, I don't know, able to just, well, you don't have as many worries and, and, and things on your to-do list perhaps. So it's yeah. easy to get into the moment. So I was exposed to it from a very young age, but it wasn't until later on in life when I think I had an intuition that I, I had to stop reading books about meditation and actually start meditating. Oh, it's <laughs> such an interesting point, isn't it? Because we, we think we just need to keep learning, 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 and then, you know, doing is a huge part of the whole equation too because in doing you see what you still want to learn or you find new things that you want to learn. Uh, yeah, totally Absolutely. agree. Or, or for me, or, or more more aptly in, in non-doing, mm. I think why you know I had personally probably quite a lot of resistance to actually sit still because I was always been a very active doing kind of person Mm -hmm. so yeah it wasn't until I entered medical training and yeah was faced on a daily basis with quite a lot of stress and trauma from patients that I was managing that I realized I needed tools to manage more effectively and and to not burn out so Mm. that's where my journey with it started cool and I mean we often think of mindfulness as a lovely woo-woo, lovey-dovey thing to do. I mean, it's very Instagram right now, darling, all that kind of stuff. But really, there's a lot of science behind it and its benefits um, in practice. Can you talk us through, you know, given you've read so much about the subject, what you learnt in your research that particularly sort of made you pay attention to this being a very um, viable and valid thing to include in our lives? Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me, being sort of both a spiritual person, but also scientifically minded, I was doing the practice. And I think to begin with, it's it's what I experienced from my own personal practice that got me really interested. So really, after doing, you know, doing it for a few months, really noticing significant changes but then it was really the turning point for me was being on a conference it was the early 2000s I think and hearing Richie Davidson and Michael Merzenich who are two leading scientists in the space of mindfulness and Mm. the research in the area I heard them talk and was completely blown away by literally seeing brain scans on the on the PowerPoint of meditators brains after two months of meditation versus no meditation and so in other words seeing the hard science around how the body can transform through this mental training was really what excited me. Mm. Since that time, there's been almost, I think, over 6,000 research studies in the field of mindfulness meditation. I think each year about 1,000 studies come out. And so it really, I mean, it certainly isn't a woo-woo practice. It's really quite supported. It's supported by rigorous science. Mm. Yeah, and I totally agree and believe it, but I think a lot of people who perhaps haven't come across the science yet might just see the image projected of mindfulness and think, well, that is woo-woo and I'm not going to think, who's got time for all of that? Yeah. Um, And it's such a shame, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think that it's really fascinating that when you see an image of someone meditating with their eyes closed usually and they're not doing much, you you sort of think, well, how could that be doing so much how could that be bringing so much benefit to a person on a physiological, physical level? Mm. And it's really all related to our, a lot of it is related to our stress response and the fact that in this day and age, we're all living in chronic overdrive with our, you know, with the fight flight response, the stress response overactivated. And this is having a really profoundly negative effect on our health in general. And so, 
meditation, mindfulness meditation is actually countering that effect because when we sit to meditate, we activate what's called the relaxation response, which many of your listeners might be aware of. And that is really shifting the nervous system from a state of fight or flight into a state of what they call rest and digest. And it's a really, it's a state of repair, rejuvenation. And our stress response was not designed to be activated for prolonged periods. And so meditation is a way that we can actively put the brakes on the stress response, give our whole body an opportunity to rest and regenerate. And that is really a fundamental necessity for our overall our, our overall health. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people think going and lying on the couch and just scrolling through their social media is that relaxation that they need in the day, but it actually keeps your fight, flight or freeze uh, system activated. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's something a lot of people don't know. So instead of doing great- that, we've got to chill, like really yeah. chill, old school. It's a great point. Mm. I think the other thing I just wanted to add to some of the research, which I find really fascinating, is a lot of the a lot of the reason that people come to meditation. You hear about people saying, "I've got this mind chatter, and I want to calm my mind chatter down. I want to be able to control and manage my emotions and turn the volume down on the reactions that I have to people mm. or stressful situations." And the amazing thing about mindfulness is that when it's practiced regularly, it actually transforms the circuits in the brain, particularly in the prefrontal cortex, which is the highest functioning part of our brain. And it's fundamental for two specific tasks, which are number one, focusing attention, so holding our attention where we want it to be, and number two, emotional regulation, which is a fancy term for being able to control our emotions. So as you're practicing more, you're actually training the brain to become more adept and skillful at these two particular functions. And so coming back to the mind chatter being an issue and this turning down our emotional reactions, the mind chatter is all about where are we focusing our attention and how lost are we getting in our thoughts. Through mindfulness, we learn how to not become so lost and therefore not be so stressed out by by our own, by our own thoughts. Mm. And the second piece is you know, the turning the emotional reactions down and that's specifically related to that prefrontal cortex area where it's becoming stronger at controlling the amygdala, which is like the the stress centre of our brain. Yeah, amazing. And I want to sort of drill into that and then what this is what this can look like for us in a day-to-day in a little minute. But I do want to talk about Mindful in May because it is around the corner and I think yeah. it's really important is why I wanted to bring you on the show because I think what you do in this month is just fantastic and the people that you interview and bring to people are world class. Um, why did you start Mindfully, May? I mean, I've got a pretty good inkling as to, um, as to the, your passion level for this subject and bringing it to more people. Was it as simple as that or were there more drivers for you? Really, I started it, it all started quite playfully and non-attached. You know, it was a passion project and then it took on a life of its own as obviously the world needed this and was thirsty for, for this. But in essence, it was really that I had personally experienced the profound impact that these practices had in my own life. I call it the best education I've ever had. And let me tell you, I've been studying for, I won't even tell you how long, but you know, decades through medicine and training in psychiatry. And this has without doubt been the most valuable education, understanding our own minds 
and learning how our minds cause suffering, how they cause greater happiness and being more effective at using them. I mean, what could be more important, right? So the personal experience was the driver, then discovering the science and then being having taught this practice offline um, through my work in psychiatry and running workshops. I was just... I was just seeing over and over again how people were benefiting. And this is, I'm talking about in the context even of people that had been suffering quite severe depression, addiction. Uh, it was really quite incredible. And I just, I saw the power of technology. This was already five years ago. I really recognized that technology gives us an incredible ability for anyone to harness it and to reach thousands and tens of thousands of people around the world. And I was also frustrated that I felt that there wasn't a very um, cheap, affordable way for my patients to be accessing these programs at the mm -hmm. time. So yeah. that was a really important piece as well. So the program that I offer, it's really an incredible amount of value jam-packed in that month. I mean, it literally transforms thousands of lives. I have emails after each May, and that's what fuels me and keeps me going, where people that have you know, lost a family member through death and they're suffering grief or people that have anxiety or just people that are burnt-out entrepreneurs – the, the the transformations are really quite remarkable and that's really just from this commitment of 10 minutes a day for the month. Mm. So that's why I started it. And I think the other reason is that we all know how difficult it is to actually make these well-being practices, whether it's physical exercise or meditation, habits and regular practices. And what I've discovered is that community is key. So when you take part in the Mindful in May online program, you become part of this real-time community. And I've found that this really supports people to practice every day. It's like you feel like you're really in it together, thousands of others. And then yeah, the I agree. The final piece is the social impact, which is something I've always been very passionate about. And it's about, you know, recognizing our responsibility in this world that in some ways what Gandhi says, you know, be the change you want to see. And, and I, I just feel a deep sense of being a human with somewhat relative privilege on this planet. And I'm talking about a privilege like being able to access clean, safe drinking water. I know. I was just about to get to that actually. So yeah, keep it, going. It, yeah. It just, it just feels like that is a really meaningful thing to do. And we know that contribution and service also serves ourselves. It mm, builds our yeah. own happiness. So that's why that piece is also interlinked in the in the program. Yeah, and I think it's I mean it's crazy to think that in 2018 we still have a global water crisis. 1 in 10 people on the planet cannot access clean safe drinking water. And so to know that we're all meditating 10 minutes a day with our first world problems is exactly. <laughs> able to create such an exactly. incredible powerful shift in a stranger's life halfway across the planet is um, is just that's icing on the cake for me. I think anything we can do to create social impact as well as personal impact just doubles the impact around. It's, yeah. it's a no-brainer. Yeah, it really is that win-win situation. Mm. Um, so we've got all the details for Mindful in May in the show notes. Um, I'm even going to create a little pop-up low-tox group for people who are in the low-tox community doing the program where we can all just discuss uh, as low toxes how we're going and hold each other to account. So that's going to be really that's fun. Easy. 
Yeah, and uh, all the details are in the show notes um, so that you can uh, click through, join, and join the pop-up um, Facebook group as well. And, uh, and I'll leave that there for now, but please do join us because I'm, I'm always fascinated by what a little teeny tiny 10 minutes does. Sometimes <laughs> I forget, sometimes I let it go, then it'll be months and then I'll be like, I know what's missing. And I really remember to come back to it much faster now than I used to. So mm. I'm curious to see how that works for, um, for everyone else. Mm. Um, now, in terms of mindfulness... Does it need to be meditation or are there some other specific ways, sort of moving away from uniquely talking about meditation, that we can implement mindfulness in our day-to-day? And like, what does it look like when we, when we start to apply the principles of it to all sorts of things? Yeah, sure. So I think, first of all, to say that I don't think you can – I think that the meditation practice in itself is irreplaceable. So okay. that, that needs to happen – I mean, it really supports a specific kind of mental training that ripples out into, uh, you know, that really develops an awareness that infuses our whole lives. And I don't think, having said that, look, the research isn't out yet, but I do believe that the meditation in itself is important. Similarly to physical exercise, you know, people tend to, I mean, you can do incidental exercise, but really like doing that intense burst of training is really what, what elevates your physical fitness Mm. Uh, but of course there are definitely ways to integrate mindfulness into our life so it's sort of the informal practice I've actually just launched uh, I've actually just released a new book called the happiness plan uh, which is in bookstores right now and it's really all about this it's actually it's a one-month guide that helps people to integrate mindfulness into their daily lives aside from meditation. Awesome. And Can we get that from Book Depository and places like yeah, that as well? Yeah, Great. Book, yeah it's, it's, it's everywhere right now. And um, that book came as a spin-off to Mindfully Made because people were saying to me that Mr. Mindfully Made, they were, they were asking how they could get access to some of the content and more. So the book takes the reader through a 30-day program of how to integrate mindfulness into one's life. So anything from bringing mindfulness into conversations for better communication, deeper intimacy in relationships, to practicing actually waking up and going to sleep mindfully, Mm -hmm. to eating mindfully, and to doing mindful inquiry where you actually – where you actually can access greater intuition and gut feelings about certain decisions that you need to make. So there's many different ways that you can bring this practice into things that are already happening in your life. Yeah, wonderful. Actually, you, you just the words mindful inquiry there around decision-making. I'm interviewing a wonderful um, guy that Nick from Milkwood Permaculture put me in touch with, uh, Dan Palmer, who's a holistic decision-making coach with a PhD on the subject. Wow. Um, I reckon you guys would have a great conversation around, around that because it is just about getting in touch with what really, really matters, even at a subconscious level that you've buried and buried and buried when you make those big decisions in life a hundred percent yeah and I think you know we rely so much on our thinking mind but actually intelligence is distributed through the whole body and that's where mindfulness can be really helpful because it helps us become more embodied and I used to think this was a load of rubbish to be honest I didn't understand it but that's because I was so chronically living in my head that I had no access to my body and its intelligence and since practicing mindfulness for a very long time 
I have noticed that accessing this full body intelligence really helps me to listen more deeply and and hear and and really respond to my intuition much more powerfully Mm, interesting so that's just made me think of phobias though like as a as a devil's advocate to that you know you see a huntsman spider you know they're not dangerous in your right mind but your body has an intelligent say response that there is a massive danger in front of you on that wall how do we know when it's fear unfounded fear versus body intelligence do you think well I think that it's about I mean I'm just thinking about I'm thinking about a situation the spider is one thing I'm thinking about going on a plane and when people get afraid of flying and I've got a personal experience of this because I had a very rough flight in West Africa once which Mm. kind of triggered a bit of a fear of flying for me and and then after a seven-day silent meditation retreat, I was flying back home and there was a huge amount of turbulence. And what happened was for the first time, the thoughts came into my mind of this is, you know, there's turbulence, a, a bit of a panic, like, what, you know, is it mm. going to be okay or are we going to mm. crash? But I had no, my physical fear response was completely detached from that because I was seeing the thought rather than being the thought. So I think what happens in the situation, it's a great question you raise, and I think that what happens is that our thoughts become so powerful and we have no space to actually just take a moment and recognize this is just a thought because really the spider, it's not harming you in that moment. It's a fear thought that comes up and the thoughts actually trigger fight or flight responses depending on how how connected we are to them, mm, right? Yeah. Gotcha. So therefore... So therefore, mindfulness helps us to have an entirely different relationship to our thoughts. And therefore, you know, we, we, we start to be able to discern what thoughts to actually believe and what thoughts not to believe. And, and so we can, the thoughts therefore have less impact on our body and on, our, on triggering our fight or flight response. I'm not sure if that's specifically answering your question, but, but, but I think that that's the phobia thing here is a different issue to the intuition. I think that that's mm-hmm. the case of believing that all your thoughts are true when they're not. And, and then those thoughts catalyzing a physiological stress response and Love it. the way mindfulness really helps with that. And it really has been used for phobias and a lot of anxiety. It's the research shows it's really helpful for anxiety is that it suddenly allows you to relate to your thoughts in a completely different way so that they don't have as much impact on your life. And this is how mindfulness really supports greater confidence, greater courage, because we can then do things that we weren't able to do before. Oh, that is such a good explanation. I'm so glad I asked that question because I really like what just came out then. That's brilliant. So um, when my son says he's having bad thoughts um, in the evening when he's trying to get to sleep, yeah, and um, and I, like, tell me whether I'm doing the right thing here, and hopefully this helps parents everywhere. Mm. <laughs> I always like putting myself on the chopping block for critique, just in case it's, it's mm. helpful. Um, he ha- says he's having bad thoughts, so one of us will go to the room, and uh, if it's me, I tend to then say, "Where are we now? We're in a beautiful, safe room, cozy sheets. Who's out there in the living room? Mum and dad." Um, what can you hear? Um, you guys, dad's listening to or watching a music show um, and mum's tapping away at the computer because that's usually <laughs> what's going on. Uh, and um, 
and uh, what are all the windows and doors? They're closed, they're locked. Um, you know, who lives up the road? And then I just like, I just help him remember exactly where he is, how safe it is, how lovely it is, how familiar it is, and how there's absolutely no immediate fear anywhere that he needs to be worried about or be having bad thoughts about a robber coming in or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Is that the right thing to do? Yeah, look, that's really helpful. I think that is definitely the right thing to do. And then we do some big tummy breaths. Yeah, you know, I think it's a really powerful example and I think it relates beyond a child that's scared. I think that we all suffer from moments where our thoughts get the better of us and cause anxiety. It can be in so many different situations. Like what comes to mind is, you know, you go and get a medical test and you're waiting for the results and Mm. the next day your mind is just having scary thoughts like what if it's cancer or, Mm. you know, or you're about to do some public speaking and before you're standing behind stage and your mind is throwing up thoughts like, what if I stuff up? I don't know if I know this. What if they don't like it? So this is all the same thing, right? Whether yeah. it's your son in bed or it's an older person dealing with these thoughts. And what's often really helpful is to, again, this is about attention training. So when you're having these thoughts and your attention is focused on them, they're going to have a very big impact on how you feel. They're going to trigger more anxiety that's going to lead to more fear thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. So what mindfulness does is it helps us develop the capacity to first of all recognize when we're locked in these thoughts and then secondly shift our attention often back to the body yeah. rather than more thoughts. So it might be, for example, with your son, you might you might say, okay, so just allowing those thoughts to be there but what I'd love you to do is just, just notice your whole body lying here and can you feel areas of your body that are warm? And can you feel areas of your body that are cool? So instead of even going into the sort of the content of the thoughts that he's having, to actually spend a little bit of time getting him back into his body Mm. so that tension is shifted away from these fear thoughts and he's embodied again and, and he's in the present moment in his body. That's such a great tip. My um, naturopath uh, of many years who's since moved back to Germany, unfortunately, was also a counsellor. And she always used to mitigate um, anxious thoughts that weren't deep-rooted in a clinical anxiety situation with going back to body and just dunking yourself under a cold shower or... Um, you know, or doing some really big like Wim Hof-esque breathing or, you know, stuff like that to just bring it back to body. So that totally resonates. That's right. And that's also why physical exercise is so helpful for people with anxiety as well Mm. because we get lost in the thoughts and that's what causes the stress and the anxiety. So uh, getting into our bodies kind of unhooks us from that cycle and I look it's really it's an area I'm really fascinated by because I think that it's a crime that most of us grow up without realizing that we actually have we have a choice about how we're using our minds and you know medication is rife and I'm not having a dig at medication I think it's life-saving for anxiety and depression often But there's so much you can do to build your own inner resources so that you can have 
a, a sense of greater mastery over your mind. Mm, I totally agree. And I, I, I completely also agree with medication being an incredible acute short-term game yeah. when it's needed. But we've got to also be mindful, <laughs> pun intended, of yeah. a long game and um, a game where we do uh, start to feel more empowered around our own mental health. So I think that's um, – I'm so glad you mentioned that. Mm. Um Okay, so something else I wanted to ask you actually, because a lot of people, it's quite trendy to go and do a three-day meditation, one-day meditation workshop, or um, specifically named, labelled kind of meditations from different schools of thought, whether it's transcendental, Vedic, whatever you might want to um, explore, and then um, and then people come back because they've had their guru thinking that that's the way it has to be moving forward. And then often I see just from just from chats in private low tox groups of alumni who've done various ones of our courses or things like that, uh, talking about meditation, then the thread comes out, oh, yeah, I tried meditation, but I failed. And they're, they're sort of um, – I, I often feel like we miss the piece of – uh, of, of importance in all of this when we explore lots of different ways to do things like decluttering or minimalism or any of that stuff but we for, we, we um, neglect to actually make it our own in a way that is ours and mm-hmm. and I love that you have a 10 minute a day situation going on with Mindful in May because <laughs> I really do think that the, a profound difference can be made and you're not failing because you're not doing two by 20 minutes a day by doing 10 minutes a day. You're still doing 10 minutes a day. You are a mm. raving success. Um, I'd love to see your thoughts on that and, and how we make meditation our own so that we mm. actually feel empowered to make it a, 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 an ongoing practice in our lives. Mm. I think, first of all, I just want to say in response to, you know, if we're not doing two times 20 minutes, we're failing. I want to say, first of all, clearly that there is definitely research that shows excuse me, there's definitely research that shows that the more you meditate, the stronger the benefits are. That's Mm -hmm. without a doubt. Right. But my logic logic around the 10-minute a day practice is that I wanted Mindfully Made to reach as many people as possible and to offer people who would otherwise be throwing meditation out the window because they just – don't have they they feel they don't have that time um, to give them an opportunity and what I've discovered through the program is that if you start small you naturally tend to develop a habit rather than starting with too much meditation and finding that you're just battling against yourself to Mm. have to and it feels like it becomes a burden for people so yeah a burden or I'm a failure I've fallen off the wagon all that kind of language yeah. Exactly, or I'm pathetic, I can never stick at anything. When really, if you're a mother with three toddlers or two toddlers, try and find two or times. Or one. <laughs> yeah, or one. You know, finding two, you know, a to- with one toddler and a business and a whatever and older parents that you have to look after, whatever, it's, you know, finding two times 20 can be very difficult. And so I think it's really, as you're saying, how do you make it your own? I think it's really important to be flexible with yourself. I think, you know, th- thinking realistically about what you can really do to start with and doing that and then building it as you go. And the fact of the matter is as you, even if you do 10 minutes a day most days for a month, you're going to feel such powerful benefits that you're naturally going to probably want to do more. That's what I see in the program. People start off doing 10 and then they naturally just 
ask for more and they're like, can we do another one later in the day? You know, it just becomes a natural thing. So, mm, okay. so, so that's a powerful point about, about creating habits and, and making it your own as well. Again, just coming back to the book I wrote, The Happiness Plan, I created a, I discovered a whole lot of practices that fit into my own life that I find you know, work really well and, and help me sprinkle it through. So I think you do need to learn the fundamentals of the practice because there is a very rigorous theory and practice behind it. But mm-hmm. once you've done that, it's kind of like jazz music. You then find ways to integrate into your life. <laughs> I'm always finding ways to integrate jazz. Yeah, as- <laughs> Sorry, I meant like you learn scale. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And then you improvise yeah. and free flow. Absolutely. Um, as a as a past as a muso in a past life, I, I totally get that. <laughs> um, now, okay, cool. So I would love to know from you then, what do you say? Like what are your two favorite things to say to the person who says they don't have time to meditate, full stop? What do you so like? Whether it's I'm thinking about it. So, yeah, whether it's like a a, a, a hard hitting, earth shattering piece of evidence as to why, or whether it's you know <laughs> just I don't know. Like, what would you say yeah. to that person? We have a think about that. I think. Well, first of all, I think that we all really know that that's rubbish. It's <laughs> it's rubbish because even if you tough love, free, folks, tough love, yeah, tough love. It is mm. rubbish. It's it's more it's more a case of what are you prioritizing in your life? And I bet you, you know, eighty percent chance the person that says that is also probably spending ten to fifteen minutes a day on Facebook scrolling aimlessly, and you know, you know, well, if not out. an hour, yeah. If not, I'm being conservative. Yeah, but I thought that was very generous. <laughs> I'm being conservative, but I'm just saying, you know, you could be spending that 10 minutes practicing. Yeah. So I think that it really isn't about I don't have time. I think it's much deeper than that. I think often it's people actually scared because, number one, they are so agitated that the thought of even being still in silence is scary because it's, it's just it catalyzes this sense of, agitation and I just can't do that so there's a resistance to do it another another reason which has come up quite a lot in some of the workshops I've done is people are scared about what they might discover Mm, like I was just about to say I think often we're not prepared to admit that we might be scared of what comes up what what we've quashed for that long that it comes up and it's like oh god I don't think I can face that or we might not even know that that's, you know, it might be an unconscious thing. But for many of us, our lives become so busy and we're racing and, you know, there can be an unsettledness or a dissatisfaction in our jobs or our relationships that we kind of pat over by just keeping really busy. And so I think that at some deep level, people avoid meditation because they also just are a bit afraid at a subconscious level about what they might get insight into. Mm. Uh, and then, but then, but then just to be fair, there are people that just literally do feel too busy. So I would say start off with a minute of meditation a day, commit to that because nobody can say they're too busy for that. And even can we just do that in our beds in the morning? Absolutely. You can do it before you go to sleep. You can do it as you're waking up. In fact, one of the practices in the book, The Happiness Plan, that I also share mindful in May, is the mindful waking. And what I do every morning is, and it's literally, it's even less than a minute or maybe a minute. When I wake up and and I notice my eyes are open, I've literally just woken up, I tune into my breath and I 
count 10 cycles of breath. So after each exhalation, that's one, and then count up to 10. And not just count, but actually sense the breath in my body, really connect with the body. And then at the end of 10 breaths, I bring three things to mind that I feel grateful for. And that's before I reach over to get my phone, do anything. That's my practice. And Mm. You know, so that could be something that people could start with if they feel like they don't have any time. Yeah. But the, and, and in the Mindfully May program, I offer people mini micro meditations that they can practice throughout the day. So whether that's one minute or whether it's a five-minute practice that you can do when you're in between meetings or transitioning from end of the day to pick up the kids or whatever it is. So I'm all about – I love supporting people to sprinkle this – throughout their day and then you really do feel the cumulative benefits yeah i love that and um actually tim ferris has a five things he does every morning and both of the things that you just suggested are on that list of five the gratitude for three things and the um the cycles of breath so uh and he's he's interviewed some pretty amazing people all around the world over the years so this stuff works it's actually, yeah, it's been interesting also sort of observing and witnessing his own personal transformation. Mm, totally agree. Himself, yeah. Totally agree. Um, now, we've sort of talked about how we can build a practice around meditation. We've talked about the word habit a couple of times, but do you think it's as simple as, well, once you start, it's going to feel good and therefore you're going to want to do it more? Or are there some more tools that we can employ to to really make that habit stick? Because I, I think change is a really interesting thing, and I write about it in my book um, that's coming up soon. And uh, and and I use the example of just finally, please, world, forget using single use plastic bags and mm. retrace how I did it and why I think it finally stuck a few years ago when I finally did it. Mm. Um, what what have you like if you could sort of think about meditation and building a meditation habit, therefore, as a practice, yes. what would you say are the things that really made it stick for you personally that you yeah. now recommend to others? Yeah. First of all, I just want to say I'm really excited to read your book. And oh, learn thanks. That. I think that's such an important habit. I can't wait to have it in my hands, I've got to tell you. <laughs> it's, a great, oh, it's, a, it's a really exciting feeling. I know, uh, yeah. So, so I would say that... Okay, a few things. Well, as part of Mindful in May, I literally interview the most incredible experts and I just gather them all together. And one of them I interviewed, his name is BJ Fogg and he's a professor from Stanford. You may have come mm, upon his work. Yes. He's, he's in the field of behaviour change and he talks about creating habits and I think this was brilliant. So some key points he talks about are number one, Anchor what you want to do to something that is already an ingrained habit. Mm-hmm. So if it's, you know, meditation, then you might say, okay, after I brush my teeth or before my foot hits the ground and I get out of bed, I'm going to do my five-minute practice. Gotcha, yeah. So anchor it to something that's already a habit. Make To start the habit, make it something – he calls it creating tiny habits that then grow into bigger habits – He actually says start with something that takes less than 30 seconds. So in this case, you might even start with a 30-second meditation. Mm -hmm. And the final point he says is once you've achieved that 30-second, that that practice that you're going to commit to every day, give yourself a metaphorical tap on the back. Really take a moment to acknowledge that you've showed up and done it because this actually activates neurotransmitters that give you a sense of reward and so that – 
tends to build that habit more profoundly in your physiology. Gotcha. So those are three great tips there. The other thing I would say is it's actually also why I created Mindfully Made because for me, going on meditation retreats as a more intense kind of boost to my practice is what really also contributed contributed to it becoming a very regular habit. I think that the 10 minutes a day is really good, but I think sometimes you need like a boost of more and it takes you to another level of experience and of the benefits and it it motivates your practice and it keeps you motivated to stay on track. So for example, I mean, mindfully May, the reason I make it an annual sort of virtual retreat over a month is that each year, and I have a lot of people coming back each year to do it because it, it is a normal, it's a normal human thing to fall off track. And so the final piece of creating habits, I think, is self-compassion. And I've found that to be profoundly helpful because when I fall off track, which I do, you know, when I, you know, when my child was really young and she wasn't sleeping and it was really hard. And so rather than beating myself up, if I brought self-compassion to that, then it gives me the permission and the doorway to come back to it. And, you know, the greater the self-compassion, the more quickly you return to the practice. I think that is such great advice. Uh, so inspiring for everyone to to kick things off, to pick up your book, to join Mindfully in May. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed this chat. Thank you so much, Elise. I've learned a lot myself and it's given me a lot to think about, especially as a parent um, and how I can sort of now work to bring up a little person who's mindful. So I might make my last question then because I know you're a parent too and we have a lot of listeners who are parents all around the world. Um, you look at your little two-year-old. How, how do you build a mindfulness practice in from, from the get-go with mm-hmm. a, a small person? You know, I think the most profound way you can do that for a small person is to be mindful yourself mm. because – you know, up until the age of, uh, well, particularly the toddler years, it's their right brain that is incredibly sensitive. So that is the part of their brain that's picking up the emotional atmosphere around them mm-hmm. rather than the left brain, which is all about logic and analysis and so forth. So if you can, if you have a practice that helps you to contain your emotions when you're about to flip out, I mean, don't get me wrong, everyone flips out. It's not about becoming a non-human, but... <laughs> But it's about having a skill that helps you modulate your own responses so that you're not being so reactive all the time and your child is in an atmosphere where there is, yeah, there is just more calmness. Even when, you know, there might be tantrums or difficult moments, you still have a level of self-awareness and ability to respond to things rather than react out of control. I think that number one makes the hugest, the biggest difference. And number two, then to be more specific about actually bringing practices to the, to the children, there's, you have to be careful to make sure that you're doing it in a way that is age appropriate. And you also have to be careful to not sort of force it or push it too much because then you'll just get a child that reacts against it and never wants to look at meditation ever again. Mm. So but I think, for for example, what I've been experimenting with with my two-and-a-half-year-old is just when I can, if she has a tantrum or something like that, I'll always encourage her, you know, I put my hand on my chest and my belly and I take a couple of deep breaths in and that's actually to help myself calm down but, <laughs> but modelling it to her. So she yeah. sees me do that. So without me even saying it she's actually seeing what I'm doing when we're in these states and then over time I've started to say to her okay take a couple of calm breaths now let me just caveat that by saying 
sometimes it doesn't work at all but that's not the point it's it's about building patterns so mm. that she's learning so it's not about you know stopping a tantrum but it's about resourcing her with even starting to understand that the breath is there and she can go to it yeah uh, and almost probably thinking this is where we start whenever something like this happens this is the first thing we try yeah and mm. you know again just want to highlight that when i started this whole training i really just did not understand why it is that we would bring our attention to the breath like what the hell does that do and how is that related to anything you know but the thing is again it's 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 shifting our attention away from an emotional reaction to the body and also then the breath we know for example if you extend your out breath and make it a little bit longer and slower you're literally activating the calming branch of your nervous system so you've got this great hack that you can use to calm the whole atmosphere down so that's a wonderful simple technique that you can use with your child or for yourself when you're feeling a bit stressed out so there's simple practices and again it's not about with a two and a half year old sitting them down and expecting them to meditate for five minutes no way but it's more about starting to connect them to their own body so another great one is you know, lying, I lie her down and I put her teddy on her belly and I get her to breathe in and breathe out and she sees the belly, you know, the belly rise and fall and the teddy lift and fall and that kind of thing. So that's for younger kids. Oh, that's so cute. I just had the sweetest little visual on that. That's gorgeous. <laughs> Hopefully that helps um, anyone out there, uh, you know, with kids of a little um, toddler kind of age because I think it's so, it's so easy to just put – I used to do mums and bubs yoga and doing the little meditation at the end of that class – there were kids rolling around on our backs like monkeys. <laughs> but the point was we were there and they saw how lovely and calm we were. And I really do think that that kind of stuff is just in there, isn't it, for yeah, the little sponges? Yeah, but their, their brains are – I can't remember. I read somewhere that I think every second they have like 500 new synapses being made. So as a parent, it's a, I, I get overwhelmed sometimes by the responsibility that we're literally helping to sculpt this human being's brain. And so any of these practices that you can do in a way that's age appropriate can really make a difference for them. 100%. Elise, thank you so much. I'm so excited that Mindful in May is around the corner. Uh, it, once again, it's all in the show notes today, guys, if you want to join us and join the pop-up Facebook group that we'll have for the month um, for the low-tox community as well. And, uh, and Elise, I just want to say thank you for all the work that you do. We're just so thrilled. I can't wait to get your book. Uh, now that I've finished writing my book, I can start reading <laughs> books again. But gosh, that's a labour of love, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Th thank you so much. And I just wanted to also acknowledge the great work that you do and also let you know that as soon as your book is out in stores I'd, I'd love to have a read it sounds fantastic yay i'll send you one <laughs> awesome thanks elise bye well, that's another show done. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Always so much inspiration from our beautiful guests. And I just want to take a minute to say thank you for taking the time to leave a review for our show because it helps us stay visible and helps other people who maybe haven't discovered it yet go, oh, that looks like it might be worth a look. So if the show has provided value to you, there's nothing you can do to thank me more than to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you access the show from. So what you do is you just search generally in the podcast app. Don't be in the list of shows because you won't be able to leave a review there. 
So once you've searched generally, you'll see the tile come up and you click on that tile and then a little set of tabs will come up and the middle one is called review. And from there, you can click it, star rate it and leave a review. And I appreciate that so much. Now, if you want to connect with the rest of the Lotox Life community, wherever on Instagram at Lotox Life or on the main website where there are a whole bunch of recipes, some incredible e-learning opportunities depending on what your Lotox goals are. And that is www.lotoxlife.com. And of course, if you want to check out the podcast show notes, you just do forward slash podcast and everything's there. So I look forward to continuing our chats in between shows online in the community. Mm -hmm.